0: Absolutely fantastic story, the story of the release of Peter from prison. It's a story that communicates God's power, God's way, God's presence with the church in a way that few stories in the New Testament do. But it's interesting because there are things about this story that actually aren't so good on the church. The church actually doesn't perfectly measure up to all that it should be in this story. And I'll show you exactly what I mean by that. Look at verse 5. Chapter 12, verse 5. What is the church doing? What does it say, somebody? Earnestly Earnestly praying, the Bible says. So the church is earnestly praying, and the reason they're earnestly praying is because... Peter has been arrested. But it's not just because Peter's been arrested. It's also because James has been killed. Now, Herod is the one who's responsible for the killing of James. And what do you think that the Christians who've just seen Peter get arrested, what do you think they they think is about to happen to Peter? Exactly. Exactly, Ed. They are suspicious that Peter also is about to see his life end. And so they're worried about that. And so it says that they are earnestly praying. Now, I want you to look at verse 12. In this case, it says also that many people are gathered together and they are praying. And my question about that is, when is that taking place? When is it that the people, in verse 12, this many people gathered together, where is it, and when is it, I should say, that they're praying? Does it tell us? What's that? Well, they are at Mary's house. That's exactly right. And when is it taking place? At night. And not just at night, but it's in the middle of the night. What was Peter doing prior to the angel coming and waking him up? He was sleeping. Later on in the story, it's going to tell us when morning came and people heard the story and realized what was going on with Peter. And so it's very clear that this event is taking place right in the middle of night. Peter has already been sleeping for a while. He gets up. He's woken by the angel. And it says in verse 12 that the people are praying in the middle of the night because they're worried that Peter is about to be killed. Now I think that's commendable. Anybody here ever pray all night? I don't know that I've ever prayed all night. I've been up in the middle of the night praying. There are times when I've been with groups of people where we scheduled prayer and prayed all night. I remember when I was in California and was working with a church there, we were getting ready to put a big addition on our building. We were going to go to two services. The church had grown and there were all kinds of things going on. And so we decided that we needed to get together and pray. And so we actually called for a season of fasting. People fasted and prayed. We needed some money to uh, enable ourselves to afford the addition that needed to go on. So we fasted. We set up a schedule for people to come so that families would come every 15 minutes all night long and the church went to the church building and all night long people prayed. And it may be that you've done something like that in the past. And they did that because they knew that God was going to bless them. And so there are times, I guess, when I've prayed in some sense all night long, but I don't know that I've ever been like this. When I saw such a need, when some situation with which I was faced was so traumatic, so challenging, that it required of me that I stay up all night and that I pray. But that seems to be the situation with the church here. And so the first point that we maybe need to see after this is that we need to pray first and not just as an afterthought. The church needs to pray when something happens. James 4, 2 through 3 says this. You do not have because you do not ask. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. And he goes on to talk about selfishness and people praying and asking for things that will necessarily bless their lives and not necessarily for the good things that are needed. But I think the same is true for us that sometimes we don't have simply because we don't ask. These people recognized that they needed to pray. If they didn't pray, Herod was likely to kill Peter. And this was the only way they knew they could possibly save Peter's life. And so they stayed up all night and they prayed. And we need to pray first, not just as an afterthought. And so the things that face us, you know, it's easy, very easy as a leadership in church to make decisions that need to be made based totally on our own rational abilities. It's the easiest thing in the world. Or I think of Ron. Ron mentioned last week the fact that he works with the Western Christian College Board. The easiest thing in the world for the Western Christian College Board to do is to get together at one of their board meetings in Regina and to sit down and consider all the facts, all the things that are on the table that need to be considered, and to make decisions based solely on what they know to be the facts. That's the way we make decisions all the time. But that's not the way that the church of Jesus Christ needs to make decisions. We can't go about making our decisions, the important ones, exactly the way the world does. And when the church here decides that it's going to pray all night long because it's faced with something significant, sometimes I wonder if we don't need to be praying the same way. There's that passage. You don't have Because you do not ask. What is it that the church needs? What is it that the Lord needs for us to get accomplished? What is it that we need to work for Him that you'd like to see get done that you think, I've got dreams for the church. I'd love for this to happen. Oh, but we can never do that. We can't get that done. We don't have the resources. We don't have the people. We don't have the talent. We don't have the space. We don't have the time. There's so many issues. That would confront us and tell us that we can't get this accomplished. And all the while God is saying to us. You don't have I'm afraid simply because you don't ask. Which makes me think we need to ask. We need to be willing to pour ourselves into asking God for the things. That we think he could, we can't possibly get. We know that it's only through the blessings of God. And him working with us through us, that we can do the things that need to be done in our world. When we pray, we need to believe. You know, I said this is not a great moment for the church, this story here in Acts. And that's exactly right. I want you to look again at chapter 12, verse 12. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of, uh, of Mary. I'm oh, sorry, I'm reading the wrong verse here. This is the problem with, you know, they call these things progressives, and sometimes I think it's just it's because your vision is getting progressively worse, and there's nothing you can do. I can't even I can't see the verse I'm I'm looking for, okay? But the point is this. The church is praying in verse 5 and in verse 12, praying all night long. And when Rhoda hears a knock at the door, she goes to answer the door. And who is standing there? Peter, the very one for whom they have been praying because they want him to be let out of prison. What is Rhoda's reaction when she goes to the door and she finds Peter standing there? Does she turn around to the group and say, Hallelujah, our prayers have been answered. God has blessed us. You can stop praying. Peter is here. The event has taken place just as we asked and just as we knew it would. No. The Bible specifically says that Rhoda didn't know what to do was absolutely shocked at the fact that Peter was standing at the door. She's so so shocked she doesn't even bother to open the door. She leaves the poor guy standing out there in the darkness and runs back into the room to tell them Peter is at the door. Now, fortunately, these are great people of faith. And so when she runs back into the room, they immediately say, Hallelujah, our prayers are answered. No not hardly look at what it says how they responded to Rhoda lady you flipped your lid peter can't possibly be standing outside the door he ha- he's in prison we all know that why do you think we're praying and all the while peter is standing at the door hoping that the authorities don't now find him again for the second time. So they eventually, they allow Peter in, praise the Lord. But church, isn't that the way we are sometimes? Scripture says that you don't have because you don't ask. But then we know that there are times when we ask And we go through the motion of praying. We're actually willing to do this. God bless us. We need this. We pray that you'd bless us. But do we really expect God to bless us for the things that we ask with the things we ask for? Isn't it the case that so often we pray and it's it's perfunctory. We do it just to get it done. We pray without any real expectation of God in a a miraculous kind of way, doing something that the church needs to have happen. And we, we think that God can see that it needs to happen. We can see that it needs to happen. We want it to happen. We might even pray that it happens. But do we really believe that God's able, willing to intercede in our world and do the things that we're asking for? Now, I would say that one of the big reasons we don't pray more often for the things that are needed is simply because when it comes right down to it, we don't believe. Not really. And so have you prayed for a miracle lately? And I don't just mean I know we pray all the time for the miracles for people who have health problems. We pray for those kind of miracles. But I want to know, do we pray for God to miraculously do something in the life of the church that we know could only take place if God were to do it? Do we pray with faith that kind of prayer and ask God to bless us in the decisions that we make about the church? You know, I've told you the story before about the time that I was in uh, Zambia. It was the first trip there that we made long before we got Megan. And I, I've told this story before, I, there was a, a night, it was dark, I was sitting around uh, on some chairs with some African people, and I was teaching them, I remember this like it was yesterday, I was teaching from Ephesians chapter 2, the breaking down of the barriers between Jews and Greeks, and I was talking about how whites and blacks have come together and we're all one family in Jesus. Meanwhile, Steve Mann, who's with me, is over in a trailer about 200 yards away, totally dehydrated from a walk that we would made that day in the heat. And he, he was hallucinating, he was vomiting, we're, out in the, we're four hours away from the nearest main road, and I'm thinking, is Steve going to die? Like, what's going on out here? So I, I sat and I, I t- taught for a while with these people and I prayed with these people, and at the end of our session together, it was time for me to pray and to close off our time, and they were in the middle of an atrocious drought, on our walk that day, we had seen cattle that had died along the trail from lack of water. We got down to the lake uh, where, uh, like there's a huge reservoir there. We got down to the lake where we were taking some things to, to a couple of albino children who badly needed protection from the sun. And when we got down there, there were, there were cattle scattered around the edge of the lake who had made it to the lake, but it was too late. Even though they were there, you know, it was like being within sight of the water. But they still couldn't make it and they died. So... We're there in that kind of context. Hasn't rained. They badly need rain. And I'm in the middle of these, this group of Africans to pray, and I don't know exactly what to do. Because if I pray and God doesn't honor my prayer, then my God looks bad. And I'm praying for rain for people who really need it. But if I don't pray, then I'm faithless. And I know it. And they may not know it, but I would know it. And so I chose to pray for rain. And I said, Lord, these are exactly my words. I said, Lord, these people need rain. And I want you to bring rain to them. And so I got up off my chair And I started walking through the darkness, through a plowed field that had nothing growing in it because it had no rain. And I'm walking through the furrows of the field toward this trailer. And before I walked the 200 yards to the trailer, I could feel the raindrops hitting me on the head because there's no hair there to stop it. I could feel the raindrops and it started to rain around me. I could hear it hitting in the field around me. And of course, I'm immediately praising God and thanking him because he was, he, he was making it rain. And I had just prayed five minutes before. I had prayed for rain, and now it's raining. Now, the, the, the bad thing about this is that sometimes I tell that story, and it's absolutely true. It's just like I just told it. But when I tell the story, there are sometimes when Christians don't believe me. There are sometimes when my brothers and sisters I think are a bit skeptical, and they think to themselves, "Well, that's a coincidence. That's a, that's a it's a nice coincidence. It's a beautiful coincidence for those people, but it's a coincidence." And that's the tragedy. That's where we've got to change. We've got to put aside the coincidences and recognize that God is trying to do something significant if we just have the guts to pray. And ask him to bless us if we have the faith for him to bless us at moments like that. I remember one time going and speaking at a church in uh, Washington State on the Olympic Peninsula. Holding a a gospel meeting. I was there for three days and I preached several times for them. And I told that story. And I, I was talking about prayer and faithfulness. And I told that story about it having rained on me after I prayed. And after I told the story like that, they had some kind of meeting afterwards and I went home with the elder's wife with whom I was staying. When the elder got home that night, he came in and he and I sat down and started conversing about the day and how things had gone. And he says to me, what? Did I say something wrong? Okay, okay, very good. I'm glad, I'm glad that I could please you. I was afraid that I'd misstated something horribly. At any rate, so this elder and I sat down Began to discuss how the day went. And he, and he says, Kelly, we, went, we had this meeting just now. And he said, we're in the middle of the meeting. And one of the guys looks at me and says, where did you get that guy? And the reason that he said, where did you get that guy? With some disdain about my preaching was because he didn't believe the story. didn't believe it. God doesn't do things like that. God doesn't answer our prayers. Not like that. Some kind of Pentecostal. And church, we need to pray. We need to pray with faith. (laughs) The early church sometimes wrestled with it too. We want Peter to get out of prison. Bring him out, Lord. Oh, he's at the door. No way. And sometimes we're exactly like that. But God wants to bless us. He wants us to pray. You know, I don't want to get mired down in the mediocrity that is sometimes ours as Christians, and as churches, so that the impact that we want to have on the world never really happens. Like, don't you get tired of feeling like we're just on the edge or on the verge or we want something powerful to happen for God to work mightily and it never really happens? Doesn't that get old? Like confession here. I get tired of that. I want us to flourish. I want us to take the world by storm because God is behind us doing incredible things. And I know that I can't do that. And I know that you can't do that. Our elders can't do that. We cannot get that done as a church. We are way too limited. We just can't do it. But our God can do it. He can. He wants to. We don't have because we don't ask. And we need to take the time to ask God to bless us. And to open our hearts and allow him to work through us in significant ways. Because he's behind us and he wants these things to happen. We need to be a praying church who prays with great expectation about what God is going to do among us. Amen. Like, is that not the case? God wants to bless us. We just need to pray. In what ways will God set free our world from the prison of sin? If we ask for him to do so and to use us in the process. And we've got this thing we've been doing trying to initiate two services. The reason for that is because we want to make ourselves available to the world. We want them to come here and learn about Jesus. And so next Friday night, we're going to meet at 7.30 here, anybody who can, to pray for an hour about our move to two services. 7.30 here next Friday night. We'll have Ignite going on at the same time, but there won't be a conflict. They'll be down in the gym doing what teenagers do, maybe praying. And we'll be in here or in the fireside room or whatever we need to do in order to pray for God to bless us as we make this move to to two services. And we need to pray with fervor and joy and expectation about what God is going to do among us. I think God wants to bless us. I think he wants to set prisoners free. And I think he will. If we pray and ask for him to bless us. Let's pray. Lord God, we put our faith in you. We trust you. We know how limited we are. God, sometimes we don't have the faith we need. Sometimes we don't have the good judgment we need. Sometimes we make mistakes all over the place. Sometimes we're sinful. Sometimes we don't love like we should. Sometimes we're not as open to our world as we should be. There are a host of things, Father, ways in which we can blow it. We want you, God, please, to accept the offering of ourselves, of our lives to you, and work among us despite ourselves. Do something that only you could do. Bring realities forward so that we impact our world in significant ways where otherwise we would not. And we pray that it's only because you're working among us that it happens. Help us to to pray for that. And then, Father, when it happens, help us to acknowledge you for how you've worked. Help us to give thanks. We expectantly pray these things this morning through Jesus. Amen.
1: So last week I I, uh, had informed uh, the congregation here that the assembly planning was meeting with the elders, and we did that last Tuesday. And uh, here's an announcement for you regarding the uh, two services. A copy of this announcement, by the way, is in the info center in the foyer, so you can pick a copy up uh, on your way out uh, for clarity. So as has been announced, we need to make room in our worship assembly, for more people to attend this church. To accommodate this, we will be launching a second service now on January 29th, as per the bulletin and email announcements this week. The elders do not view the matter of whether one sings with or without instruments as a salvation issue. What we do view as extremely important is that we all sing The second service will allow for instrumental accompaniment for those that desire it, and the first service will remain a cappella as it has always been. We ask that you choose the service you prefer and then fully support it, collectively making it the best it can be. So after meeting with Assembly Planning, we determined the best way to ensure success of this endeavor is to connect the two services both of them around our class time this allows members <clears throat> excuse me allows members from either service to access children's and adult classes as a result the first service so this one will begin at 9:45 a.m. that's our present class time and end at 10:45 then classes will start at 11: and end at 11:45 with the second service starting at 12 p.m. noon. To begin, we have allowed 15 minutes between services and class. If necessary, well, we still need we will need to work together to transition in and out of the auditorium to make this schedule work. And if necessary, the times may have to be tweaked a little bit. Uh, Another option that we discussed is to move the adult class from this setting to the gym, but uh, not at this time. Let's see how things flow first. We're scheduling uh, one hour for each worship uh, service with approximately 30 minutes allocated to praise and 30 minutes for the sermon. So our present service, like today, runs for about an hour and 15 minutes. So we're looking at ways to reduce activities here without compromising the heart of worship. Two parts of being considered. Uh, the first one is the elders' close, and the second is how we do the Lord's Supper. We're working on a way to continue to take and respond to your prayer requests outside of the worship time. And the second point has us looking at how we pass out our emblems for the Lord's Supper. So in your prayers, we ask that you petition God to work on the hearts of those in our communities, that he will bring them to us as we better prepare to reach the world with the Lord Jesus Christ, one person at a time.
0: Thank you.